I think when I came in, narratives were sort of were rousing battle poems that got lost in a PowerPoint deck that might get filed away. But I think right now, and what we're trying to do is actually to be able to translate that into things that can be actually experienced by more people than just whoever went to the workshop. Hi, I'm Joel Pilger, and you are listening to episode 69 of the Rev Thinking Podcast. Today, my guest is Matt Taylor at Deloitte Digital, and our topic is the rise of consultancies as a creative force. Welcome to Rev Thinking, the podcast for creative entrepreneurs who know the best way to deal with the future is to create it. This is the conversation between creative leaders and consultants discussing what it really takes to run a thriving creative business. For the first time ever, four consultancies have cracked ad ages ranking of the 10 largest agency companies in the world. With combined revenue of $13.2 billion, the marketing services units of Accenture, PwC, IBM, and Deloitte sit just below WPP, Omnicom, Publicis Group, Interpublic, and Dentsu. Now, that is from a report in AdAge from 2014. Hey, guys, I'm Joel. Welcome to the Rev Thinking Podcast. This week, we're talking with Matt Taylor at Deloitte Digital. And if you're thinking, Deloitte Digital, what? Yes, this is a conversation I'm having with Matt, who just so happens to be the Director of Experience Design at Deloitte Digital in Sydney, Australia. And I'm excited to have someone from one of the big consultancies come and talk with us on the Rev Thinking Podcast. Because as I quoted from almost five years ago, at the top of the largest agencies in the world are names like Accenture, PwC, IBM, and Deloitte. That is crazy. Now, unless your head has been in the sand for the past few years, you know that these big consultancies have been invading the turf normally reserved for the big advertising and big marketing agencies. So what's changing? What's changing? Well, that's what we're going to talk with Matt about. Now, the other thing that's really cool about Matt is he's not just a guy that works at Deloitte in one of the big consultancies, but he actually ran his own motion design studio years ago, and it was acquired by Deloitte. So his story and the story of Deloitte are a really interesting intersection of these, these two worlds. So I know you're going to enjoy this conversation with Matt, and I hope you take away from this conversation this realization that if you are selling your services of your creative firm, maybe your production company or your studio, maybe you sell to advertising agencies, Maybe you sell to entertainment companies. Maybe you sell to brands. Well, interesting question. What are the consultancies doing that maybe you could compete against them or maybe join them? Maybe reach out to the consultancies and find a way to work with them. I know quite a few of my clients have worked for Accenture, for Deloitte, and those types. So I know it can be done, and I want you to be thinking about all the opportunities that might be out there for you. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Matt Taylor at Deloitte Digital. But yeah, really good 
to meet you. And I appreciate you taking some time out of your weekend time with your family to jump on our Rev Thinking podcast and talk about you and Deloitte and all sorts of cool things. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So I'm trying to remember, how did we get introduced? I think I there was an email or something that I saw had a Deloitte.com, I think, domain on it. And, I, and it caught my eye and I said, oh, wait. Deloitte, those people are really smart. Who is this? And I reached out to you. Is that the is that the story? Yeah, I'd, I'd seen Rev Think on um, I think Motionographer, and I subscribed to it because I was like, wow, I wish I wish that existed when I was running a motion graphics company. And then you found my name in a mailing list and went, "What's a consultant doing here?" Yeah, well, okay, so it's interesting because I feel the same way. Back when I ran my studio, I'm like, <laughs> when I met Tim Thompson, who was the consultant for me for about a year in the final stages of my business. I had the same thought. Oh, why, why, why haven't you been here for the past ten years? So you have some beige, you have some experience running your own studio or agency. What did you call it uh, in your day? Um, so there were there were there were two studios. One was sixty forty, which was a that was a creative production studio. We went uh, our name came from this desire to do sixty percent client work and then forty percent personal work. So that went from about nineteen ninety nine to. 2013 and there were some some good times we made a lot of like ads branded content online content and broadcast design and then we were always trying to get one crazy series up or another about then i realized that you could work directly with clients so we started doing the script writing as well as the production and started a, an agency called the explainers and it seemed that everyone had something that needed explaining and i guess that was around about the time that everyone seemed to want a video and online video was becoming a booming thing. So I had this funny transition in my life where my business partner who I met, he'd formerly been at Microsoft and had been like very much into the internet and into, in its early days. And then I had been the one that studied animation and did character design. But by the time we had left, we'd done a sort of a, a freaky Friday in that he was the one now calling himself an animation director and trying to get signed up for representation. And I was the one running an online business and talking about everything internet. So it was a funny handover in your life you get from working with people. Wow. Well, that's so interesting because, I mean, that's just an interesting sort of era in time. And of course, to be positioned to be doing explainers, I could see as being a very opportunistic thing at that time. But I'm also thinking that must have come with some big challenges as the years went on. Uh, totally. I mean, you, you had to learn a lot more about client management and I guess we really started to get into the scripting and, and not just taking briefs, but trying to take control of a project and, and push it into a new place. And I think um, as that progressed and progressed and we started with working with bigger and bigger people, that's when Deloitte noticed us. Yeah. How does Deloitte notice you? What does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. How any, I, don't, I guess how people get noticed by people is different from everyone else. But for me, it came through a a connection via a job. Someone said, oh, I'll send out some emails on your behalf. And lots of people say that, but this guy sent out five very direct emails where he said, you should meet Matt because he does this and you do that. And one of them was to the design department at Deloitte, which led to our acquisition. Okay. And so acquisition, so it's, about what year, what year was that? That was in 2016. Okay. So in 2016, um, so you went through an acquisition process where you were acquired uh, or something along those lines by Deloitte. So your your studio or agency at that time was uh, was folded into Deloitte. Yep. Yeah. So they were, they were looking to boost their creative capabilities and that particularly around the area of storytelling. And so we came in and 
learned a lot about corporate storytelling and a lot about, and people were still trying to figure out how creative production was going to fit into a consulting model. So it was, it was definitely at the beginning of that exploratory period. Yeah, and that's so interesting. Would you say that 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 being acquired was even part of your strategy in why you started your business and why you were running it the way you ran it? Yeah, it's like it had been at the beginning, but then I like when I start when I split off from my business partner and started the explainers, I had this plan like, right, well, I'll do this thing for 3 years and I'll grow it and then I'll sell it. And I didn't really know I, I, I didn't understand the process of selling a business because I'd never sold one before. And then I sort of pushed that out of my head and just said, let's just focus on doing great work and being an awesome company. And then it ended up actually happening that way. And so that was a, a funny passing of fate. Well, I'm looking at your role right now because I grabbed something just off of LinkedIn. So you tell me if this is maybe a good uh, encapsulation <laughs> of what yep. your role looks like right now, because there is this piece that you said uh, as, as your role in director of narrative strategy, which is one of those roles. I'm like, what in the world <laughs> does that mean? But there's this statement here that said, I, we believe in the transformative power of stories and their ability to shape business. So using a mix of strategic insights, creativity and design thinking we uncover engaging stories and the most effective methods for telling and sharing them. I mean, is that your job description in a nutshell? Still, that rings true. Yeah, I, I guess like one of the big frustrations I was having running a running the explainers was that people were coming to us going, I've got a problem, I need a video. And I would have to say to them, look, you need to think about this in more than 25 seconds or soon you're going to have a problem and a video. And um, so... <laughs> Trying to get people to think about a creative solution, agnostic of whatever medium it's coming into, um, is certainly a, a bit easier to push if you're in a bigger business where they might go, well, we're paying you guys this. You're going to try and challenge us on the solution. Well, that's a, I mean, I think what you're describing is a common frustration, right? Especially for studios that are viewed very tactically, like, oh, you make explainers, you make videos. Oh, we need one of those. But of course, all the real value creation and opportunity is getting out ahead of the project and actually being involved in the problem. And I'm guessing yeah. that Deloitte, of course, deals in problems on a regular basis. Am I right? <laughs> Deloitte, um, they're merchants of problems. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and particularly people come to Deloitte when they're not even sure what the problem is. Right. They haven't defined the problem yet. They just know there's something nagging and, and wrong. And yeah. Well, they, they might help, be looking they might be looking at the the economics of their business, but really there's a, a customer engagement or an employee engagement position, which is different. So that's what's been so amazing being there. But the, the challenge is how do you how do you wedge creativity in amongst all these layers of strategy and change management and, and economics? Yeah, I mean, obviously your world changed quite dramatically from running a small studio slash agency to now being part of a much larger organization was the was your business kept somewhat intact or were you essentially absorbed and your old business sort of just absorbed and and disappeared how how did how did were things structured once you went through this transition yeah we, we were absorbed and the old business disappeared although everyone stepped still kept referring to us as the explainers i think it takes when you enter another business, it takes a long time for that name to disappear and everyone loved the name and they just thought that, wow, there's just so many things to explain at Deloitte. Um, 
thank God someone could do it. And I think some people thought that we were Jedis when we came in, that maybe we could help explain things without a brief. <laughs> but I, I think it, hap- it, it happens all differently for, for all different businesses and it would probably depend on their size. Like we were quite small. We were um, 10 people and – if, if you're a bigger business, like I know some, uh, there's an ad agency, The Monkeys has been acquired by Accenture. They're over 100 people and they haven't left their old office or they haven't, um, they're still, I think they're still operating how they used to. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, this is obviously part of this larger trend that I think is interesting for us to maybe talk about just briefly. And that is there is a move in the big consultancies of the world. So I'm going to name names like Deloitte and Accenture. Uh, maybe KPMG and these types of uh, consultancies that they are on what some would call a spending spree. They're going out and buying a lot of small agencies, um, studios, and so forth. What what would you say is behind that trend? I think fundamentally technology and uh, in particular um, tools like Salesforce or other CRM-based technologies help you get a, a larger picture of a customer. And so whereas technology a few years ago used to be selling someone a big server or sell, you know, doing a big implementation, you are now, particularly with cloud technology, you're giving people this capability to possibly handle their business end-to-end from, from a transformation to creating a new business to taking that new business to market. And so within that, if you wanted to go all the way to the end, you would then market that business and actually literally take it to market. So that's the, that's the dream, getting people around this and, and you're handling it. Like that's very much still developing. You can see that like there's a, a business proposition group in Deloitte called Market Gravity. They were a bigger company that got acquired from England and they do like sprint innovation business proposition stuff. And they, they have done that. They have developed whole new businesses and then taken it to market and then make an ad campaign and made, you know, redesign the branches. So there is that, that's the dream state. That could happen. Well, it's interesting because part of what you described makes me think of why a lot of the big consultancies are even competing against what I would call the traditional Madison Avenue advertising agencies. Because when you think about why does a giant brand hire an ad agency on Madison Avenue, it's ultimately that, like you described, that last point in the marketing and the selling, like, oh, now we need to take this widget we've built and we need to actually uh, give it a name, brand it, get the message out to consumers and help them s- identify with it so they'll go to the store and buy it. I mean, I've, I've obviously grossly oversimplified the equation, but I think it's interesting that the consultancies are really, in some some would argue, are better are, are besting the agencies at that because they don't have this legacy model, they don't have all this legacy and baggage of the way they conduct business that the consultancies are able to come in and really compete and beat them at their own game. Yeah, it's it's, it's a challenge of I think it's who's closest to the head of the river, really. And within consultancies, they're all very different. Like McKinsey, from what I've heard, I've never worked there, but they, they do a lot more of the upfront strategy, but then don't implement. I think um, it's just you consultancy, it's taken a while for me to actually appreciate what consultancy is because there, there are no books on it or there aren't many or no one gave me one. It's actually quite this <laughs> very intimate way of working where people embed in with the client and they work in their place and they work in these very short, 
sprints where you work very closely with them. And I think from that, if you've been a consultant all your life, you get these amazing relationships with quite high up people. And from that, people would hopefully trust you enough to call you saying something's going wrong. I don't know what it is. I think where like the, the, the ability of creativity and, you know, and, and marketing smarts to be put into that equation is when you can give something a name early on, like if you could call something, something more exciting than Project Xenon or the ITRS 5.6 transformation scheme, you know, you, you, you could have something that actually achieved greater uplift earlier in the piece because the big problem with any transformation or any, um, be it technological or, or through change, is if no one uses it. I've, I keep thinking of, uh, do you have those outdoor gardens in America, like those green walls? I don't know if they call them green walls, but cer- yeah, certainly outdoor gardens. Yeah, so like when people have those vertical gardens, like they look really cool and people put plants all at the front of the building, but if no one waters them, they just die. And so, <laughs> and then you're just stuck with this ugly bunch of dead plants in your building. And I think for some people, innovation can be like that. You know, you, you it seems like a great idea at the time, but then if people change roles and no one understood what the innovation was about and then a new bunch of people come in and they want to innovate as well then it um a lot of good work can can drift past and people forget why it's done in the first place but if it had a catchy name maybe they'd remember well i mean that's certainly a good start right and yeah i'm thinking maybe this is part of the reason that consultancies are snatching up creative companies uh like like the explainers and others is they're looking for more capability and more understanding of how do we tell this story? How do we make it clear? How do we communicate these ideas? Definitely. And, and that, that's when we came in and everyone was suddenly looking at us to being the storytelling experts. And then we you know, just, everyone seemed to, there's a lot of talk at Deloitte about narrative and, and storytelling and how powerful it is. And, and to understand what corporate storytelling was, and just to even think of stories being free of a medium myself after having preached that at people, but then to actually go in there and go, here's your story, we'll figure out what it could be later, um, was quite a, a mind shift for me because I was very much used to, this is a 90-second video or this is a 30-second video, or you know, like just thinking in, in those terms. No, I can imagine that there's a big <laughs> shift when now you're sort of further up the food chain or further upstream as you describe it. And now you're really working not so much on a project, but rather working on a problem. Is that, am I saying it right, maybe? Yeah, well, the, the, yeah, there's an overarching problem. And then within that, there becomes a project. So um, for one client recently, we had to make this immersive video experience to explain what this company could be like using this particular technological platform. And so we made this sort of multi-screen video experience where people put on silent disco headphones and we tried to make it far more atmospheric rather than narrative. Anyway, like, and then they went around the corner and we actually made live dashboards with um, actual data that they could actually then see what it was like. It was amazing. We basically, from having there being 10 months where people didn't understand what this thing was, this experience we made, people went from, I don't get it to when can I get it in about 25 minutes. And so that was, I just went, yes, this is, this is exciting. We did something here. Wow. Well, you you should immediately put a little TM on that tagline you just invented. We don't get it, but n- and and now where can we get it? Yeah, because <laughs> that's pretty good. I mean, to move somebody from that, you know, lack of understanding to not only do I understand it, but I want it. I mean, that's quite a that's quite a move. Yeah, so I think that's where when you've got the right strategic in and the right bunch of people, and you particularly have got someone really clear about what they're trying to do. 
um, and you go, right, we're trying to achieve that. Let's just focus entirely on achieving that goal and we're going to do it using video or digital or, or a play or whatever it needs to be. Um, that, so that, that's been the, the, the transition in, in what we've been making and what we're trying to make. Well, I'm curious. I know that you talked about this term uh, brand experience when you and I first got connected. And that is, on the one hand, very vague, but you said it's part of what is unique to what you're doing in the Deloitte universe. So I'm curious, what is brand experience in your world? In my world, it's, um, I guess, like, so experiential marketing is becoming, you know, is a a huge thing now. But people are realizing we've got to make events to um, help people understand the full awesomeness of this product. And so we're trying to make events that get people to understand the full awesomeness of this strategy or this transformation. So I, th- I think it's the fact that you, you're trying to create, when we came into Deloitte, the whole, we was trying to say, we want to tell the right story to the right people at the right time. And that gets encapsulated in this experiential aspect. Deloitte has this mix, I guess in, in particular, my team, I sit underneath a partner who specializes in spatial strategy and they, um, they help change the way people work by rethinking how their buildings are laid out or by how technology works within a building. And so within that, so we have this sort of interior design capability where we can build spaces. Then there's also a huge, you know, web and digital design legacy of Deloitte Digital, which has started from a very much a web design that now has moved further afield. So we've got a lot of UX and UI and then a lot of human-centered design, service design capability as well. People who really think about um, process and, and what, what's, the, what's the user experience of this particular thing. So combining that then with storytelling and motion graphics is what makes our little group so unique. And so what, what, what do you think is, what's possible now? Like, because I hear all that and I go, oh, that's really cool. In terms of the problems that you're able to now address and translate those into projects, what's, what's sort of the outcomes that were not possible before for the clients, for those brands? Hopefully getting, I mean, I like to think it's getting change at scale, getting more people getting it faster and you like, and, and less bad explainer videos. <laughs> <laughs> right. Cause we, we don't, we don't need a whole bunch more of those, do we? Oh my God. The video is full of, the internet is full of videos. Um, we don't need more videos on the internet. You know, like think you want to get all, all old man and start talking to people about, Oh, when I was a boy and we put things to tape or we did this, um, right. like, vi- video as a medium has changed so much and particularly in the last few years. And you look at, you know, like vloggers and what people can do in a day or turn around in very short periods of time. And it's, and it's all, it's very high quality. That's, that's a real game changer for old perceptions of production. And I think it means if you want to, if you want to put all your dollars on screen, you've got to make it count at certain points of time. It's not just the fact that you've, everyone needs to make a TV commercial this time of year or whatever, like it's different. Well, you said something earlier that I thought was such a great, simple way of putting it of telling the right story to the right people, but at the right time. And yeah, at the right time. I would say often, yeah, I mean, often if you're a studio or a production company, you don't have control over some of those elements because you're so downstream, you're just being handed the project called, we need a 30-second spot. Yeah. But I would say moving forward, right, as we move forward into the future, the opportunity, it sounds like it's clearly that companies, consultancies like Deloitte, 
they're they're just swimming further and further upstream where like you said there's the high level decision makers they're they're embedding with the clients they're they're really tackling problems not just projects yeah definitely you you do sort of go to some meetings where people are planning the future of cities or the future of you know like like some decisions are quite high up some are still very tactical and low down but um yeah that that is the the strange thing about consultancy so as you look at maybe how your role has evolved just in the few years since you started at Deloitte and yep. you're starting to see where it's where it's going how do you think the the role of storytelling or that role of narrative um how's it evolving when you look at the types of larger organizations and clients that you're working with how's how's it how's it going to be changing i think it's it's getting translated more into actual outputs that can be shared i think when i came in narratives were sort of were rousing battle poems that got lost in a powerpoint deck that might get filed away but i think right now and what we're trying to do is actually to be able to translate that into things that and experiences that can be actually experienced by more people than just whoever went to the workshop. Well, I'm just, I'm curious when you talk about that um, expanding role and how that storytelling and narrative is going to evolve um, in the future. What's like, what are you trying to solve right now when you think about the the problems that some of the clients are asking you to, to solve right now that won't be maybe implemented for another six months or a year? I'm kind of curious just to hear what you think is, maybe the cutting edge or <laughs> the bleeding edge, if you will, of the yeah. kind of things, the problems that you're solving. A lot of the, the projects I'm involved are mostly around risk and uh, cybercrime and financial crime and trying to explain these sort of far away sort of things that sound very glamorous when you put it in a movie with a hacker wearing a hoodie. But when it actually comes down to the specifics of solving it, they come down to tiny decisions made by people. So to try to make, we're trying to introduce uh like video installations or video games or um, motion graphics into that to actually make this stuff come to life and, and seem tactical. I'm, I'm, I'm getting more interested in behavioral psychology and how that can mm. be used. How I'm going so? to talk about nudge theory. I think when you start to think of content and content making in terms of um, nudge theory and in terms of pushing people towards a certain thing, um, you know, that, that, that does come down to classic good writing and you know like advertising has been doing that in many ways for a long time but embedding that along side of real um strategic insight that's pretty exciting you said something about nudge theory i'm just really curious what what is that all oh, right um <laughs> if it's something you can explain in a in a sentence or two oh geez yeah, there, there's a whole bunch of people who can explain it far better than me. But within behavioral psychology, nudge theory is the fact that to make change, you often don't need to do a big thing. You need to do a small thing. And so sometimes when um, behavioral economics or behavioral psychology, people might look at the way a form's written and you might see that the fact that the box to tick is at the bottom means that no one's ticking it. So sometimes by contextualizing the challenge in terms of what people have to do or what they're being asked to do, it might take small changes to make a big impact rather than huge changes. I see. Well, that's that's interesting because you're right. That does run counter to what I would say is conventional wisdom when you're communicating to a mass market via a commercial or motion design explainer is you, you, you tend to think in terms of 
oh, let's create the biggest splash that makes the biggest impact, that makes the biggest move. So nudge theory is the other idea of, well, we're going to eat this elephant one bite at a time. I think so, yeah. Uh, but I'm, I'm like, you know, someone might call me up later and say, you have got it totally wrong. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> and there are uh, there are smart people at Deloitte who specialize in that. But as far as my, that's my take on it so far. But yeah, no, you know, I'd love to make stuff with explosions and car crashes in it too, but I'm just not making that right now. Well, but the thing you're describing though, it, it is quite a fundamental shift if you said we're going to create a, a campaign or an initiative, some sort of a project that's going to, nudge people in all of these various different ways in order to create a really large impact rather than put all of our ammo into this one big gun and fire it and hopefully, you know, knock out, knock down this one big target all in one fell swoop. Definitely. Yeah. You're not just using a shotgun to go hunting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I'm curious when I think about maybe what's shifting in the industry these days. And I, I'm hearing your story and I just know a lot of people are of course curious on a couple levels because on one level they might hear your story and say, that's really interesting. Would, uh, should I be reaching out to consultancies? Like are these potential clients and partners and business relationships uh, because I'm in a similar space as Matt was in. And then of course, there's also the question of, well, gosh, if consultancies are on a buying spree, <laughs> am I, maybe I should be selling. But maybe to that first question, what would you say to people that run a studio or a production company? Um, are there, are, is there a need for them to be connecting with consultancies that are producing content and doing narrative and storytelling and so forth, or are those, are those pretty much all internal agencies and no need apply? No, no, I definitely think um, production studios and particularly small, smaller studios should reach out to consultancies because yeah, there is definitely not, it's not all done in house. I think working with consultancies is probably different than working with agencies in some regard, because you're, you're working with people that, you know, haven't done marketing all their life. Although you know, there are some people who, who are really well-versed in it, like my team and me and some of the people I work with, but you may be working with someone who has uh, let more experience in, in something else. But they definitely need to work with good people. Well, I appreciate you sharing that about the, the internal agency uh, because there's definitely a trend in the world right now of brands and certainly consultancies building internal agencies. And I think there's a maybe a knee-jerk reaction assumption that uh, production studio owners will make of, oh, they've got an internal agency, no need to even reach out to them. And I always encourage them to just look past the obvious because often the internal agency is the one that's so desperate for an, an outside expert or a fresh perspective. Is that, is that true Definitely. in your case? Oh, well? yeah. No, I would say it's that fresh perspective is the thing people need the most. Um, I mean, that's what I enjoy about working with freelancers or, or anyone when you get outside blood in, you go, oh, yes, I've forgotten about that. Oh, wow, that's happening. You know, you, you always need to, to need fresh eyes on the world. Well, I, I, that's cool to hear, right? Because the I, th- I think the internal agencies, the internal creative teams, they're always struggling to stay on top of things, to understand the latest 
ways of communicating or even the latest styles and techniques. And I think when they have an opportunity to work with somebody on the outside, it's like a, it's like injecting fresh ideas and fresh approaches. And that must be exciting for people on your team. Yeah. It's just like no one would keep a camera crew just on hold waiting for, to use them at any point. You know, when you, you work with an awesome DOP or you work with an awesome cinematographer like that, that can just make or break your project. So or you always work with the best people. I think it should <laughs> right, be a rule of, of course. <laughs> but, but you do make a good point about the nature of consultancies. They have not been sophisticated buyers in this space for a long time. And I think any, you know, any owner that wants to reach out and maybe work with a consultancy should be prepared for, gosh, I mean, I don't want to say naivete, but that there's not the same history and tradition, say, at an ad agency that's been working with production companies for 50 years and all everything is well-defined and the processes and the terminology that I'm thinking at the consultancies, there's a bit more of a Wild West. Yeah, they're definitely coming at it from a different place. Um, I mean, Deloitte is fundamentally a company built by accountants. It was built by accountants in the 1850s. It's a, it's a very old company which employs nearly a quarter of a million people um and yeah it wasn't designed as a creative agency um and i think a lot of the systems are based around a background in accountancy and and auditing so i'd say that before wanting to before joining the consultancy world you've got to try to get an understanding of what consultancy is about and um they don't do a very good job of explaining that so it's, it's best to work with them and, and just figure out how you fit in with this. I think with things like agile methodology where people are encouraging clients to work in, in short sprints and, and create prototypes and create outcomes, um, rather, you know, short outcomes rather than waiting years and years for something to take hold, there is, um, there's opportunity to, to find out what it's like to work in that way with a team. Yeah, that's that's really interesting when you talk about the difference in legacy of where a company like Deloitte comes from and how that does. It is something you need to have an understanding of and appreciation for. So I would encourage anyone, do your homework, right? Like read the trades and read the thought leadership pieces coming out of Deloitte and McKinsey, Accenture, and those those types, because there's obviously a lot of innovation happening, but it's not like... It's not like going and pitching in an ad agency where you you show up and you do a screening and we love your work and you have a really sexy director on your roster. Let's work together. Yeah, I, I know one one motion graphics director who I worked with as a freelancer. He's actually started quite a good business with someone who does proposition design, where they go in and do. Um, again, stop me if I'm speaking all jargon now. I forget what where. I'm, I've been in consultancy for a while now, so as I start spitting out terms like agile and proposition, I realize I may be in deep, but they go in and help companies dream up what new versions of their business could be like, but then they end up almost, you make ads for things that don't exist yet, so instead of leaving people with a PowerPoint deck, you might make an ad for this future business, or you might make a film that sums up all the things that people would like to be, so you're making these sort of like future bits of content, and I think there's... Like definitely a really sexy, convincing argument for the future could sway a lot of people in a certain direction. Wow, that's a really interesting 
Yeah, interesting business model. Um, the terminology doesn't bother me. I, I have had enough, <laughs> at least enough exposure to uh, you know agile and some of the consulting. Okay, cool. World. One of my best <laughs> friends that I went to college with. Um, he's a KPMG guy, so I know. I know a little bit about that world. Um, hopefully the, the listeners aren't uh, struggling to, to stay with us. <laughs> well, it, it's, would you, um, I'm curious if you were still running your studio, if you're still running the explainers uh, back before that transition happened, um, what would you, what would, what advice would you give to yourself if you were back there? Would you be reaching out? Would you be, Going to certain conferences, would you be reading certain books? What what would be the what would be the wise move looking back? If you were if if, if me three years ago was trying to get acquired by a consultancy, um, I would or or even just work with the consultancy. Yeah, I mean, I would approach their digital departments and go in and, and meet them. I think again, the only way to really experience someone is to work with them. So it's trying to get a, a good understanding of what they what they need, and then what's the the easiest, least painful way to work with someone on that way. And it's, I'm not sure where you'd actually meet consultants apart from with clients. Um, right. Certainly once you start, <laughs> there are times when we go in to see a client and you walk in and there'll be like people from other consultancies in other corners. Like there'll be all oh, the Accenture people over there and KPMG are people over in the corner and you can, they, <laughs> they're, they're a bit like termites. They sort of get in under the floorboards and... <laughs> Yes. I've actually heard those stories that, especially when it comes time to pitching new business, it's like you look in the conference room and you're like, oh, it's the the green PowerPoint. So that must be, uh, (laughs) that's the E&Y guys. And then the next presentation is the blue, which is the Accenture. Anyways, it's funny. Uh, But you're right. I mean, the the cool thing, of course, about the consultancies, um, and this is a bit even similar in RevThink world, where we work as consultants, that there is an an actual embedding that we do with our clients and the consultancies, obviously they do this as well. Mm-hmm. And they, they're obviously working with people at the very highest levels, which if you're a studio, if you're a production company, most, I would hopefully say most dream of, can I, can I actually talk to somebody who understands the problem? So I'm not just creating a tactical solution and selling commodity services. So I think, to your point, it would be, it'd be so interesting to find maybe a path for, yeah, that sounds cool. How do I, how do I break into that world? But maybe you just have to start with go on Google, go on LinkedIn and do your homework. Yeah. And and I I, I was trying to, when we were acquired, I was trying to wrap my head around, why would you want to buy us? Like I couldn't see, like, I was looking, why, why? And, um, and one of the people I spoke to, Leon said, well, he said, think of it like a family dinner. He said, I could have you around for Christmas dinner once a year and we might get to talk a little bit, but then we just sort of like see each other and then not see each other for another year. But if you were part of the family, you'd be at the table every night and you'd be part of the fights and the conversations and all the, the stuff that families do at dinner. So that's kind of the difference is that you do, um, being acquired is not, it's not a payday. Like you, 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 you work harder than you ever worked in your life. You, you're in there and you're, you're earning it out or you're, you're fighting for your life. So it's definitely, I think when we came in, all these people like, oh, so do you have to wear a suit now? I was like, no way. <laughs> there are enough people wearing suits there. They did not bring me in to wear a suit. So I don't wear a suit. It is definitely to be part of the, the brewing conversation. So you understand 
some of the client challenges before they come up so that when someone goes, right, they need that thing now, they need it in eight weeks or they need it in five weeks, you've, you've already just from picking up what's been going on around with other jobs and in meetings, you understand that this client might be like this and they might be facing this and they're probably facing this. And there are people you can go to and ask. So that's, that's really the reason for being in there. And then if it's, it's trying to figure out how you can make your creative talents helpful to make sense of the world for other people because you're surrounded by a lot mm-hmm. of people who use big words. <laughs> and lots of acronyms and oh, other yeah. yeah styles of work like Agile and so forth. And they can't help themselves. That's like how they've been brought up. I mean, everyone there, like to, to stereotype wildly, a lot of people were always the smartest kids at uni and they got they went straight from uni and they entered a grad program. So a lot of people have been there their whole life in this system. And when you come in as an outsider, um, you know, you probably don't make a lot of sense. And um, so, yeah, trying to find those common moments or those common threads, gen- generally that's through actually working together, you'll find that. Well, I can imagine you bring this narrative and this storytelling and this creative and design element that uh, those people that were the head of their class at university in those technical spaces, they, I'm sure, can appreciate the contributions that you're making uh, because the the whole recipe requires these multiple ingredients and nobody has all the answers. Definitely. And yeah, it's, yeah I think it's when you create, they, they call them blended teams, and when you can combine it, that's when it all really works. Um, consulting doesn't work as separate services sold individually. It really works at its best when there's that mix. So I have this question that uh, I had jotted down here that I think I already know the answer to. Uh, because the question was, if you're an owner of a studio or a production company like you were when you were running the explainers, based on the trend that's happening with the consultancies in the world, should owners be excited about that? or worried about it i would be excited i think it opens up more clients and opens up some weirder new possibilities i think you have to when working with a consultancy you have to appreciate that it may not be a tv commercial that you're going to create um it could be something totally different so going like leveling level setting your expectations is pretty important i mean basically anywhere where you've got new clients can't be a bad thing it's making sure they've got enough money right um, but I mean, for me, like the, the, the reason I moved was cause I saw the broader changes within the video production industry. I just felt like it had changed so much. And for what I was doing, like there was a certain level and I was going to need a strategic boost to amplify my business. And I've been looking around for that from several different directions and Deloitte seemed to be that strategic boost. I was like, well, they're the biggest strategists in town. That's a good boost. So I went, I went that way. And for me, it was that reason that I found that animation is a, it's a very crowded market now. And in Australia, I can't, I'm, I can't speak globally, but I assume that the fact that technology is so accessible, that, that video software is so accessible, um, it's, it's hard to... There's an awesome article on Motionographer about motion graphics hitting puberty recently, which I just loved. And I was just like, it sort of summed up to me the fact that like these trends where, you know, studios were opening up in cities like Detroit and all sorts of cities that weren't New York or Los Angeles. So the fact that you weren't in one of those traditional centers of the industry didn't matter. I'm sure a lot of these people are your clients. Um, I I just think the industry is changing a lot. I wanted to go somewhere where it was different. Yeah, well, I agree with you. It's as the industry evolves, 
there's always people that are taking advantage of the changes and the evolution. They're they're finding where the cheese has moved to. And then there's the losers who have so much invested in the status quo that all they can do is complain or wish that they were younger and hungrier. Uh, but I always felt like as the creative entrepreneur, your part of your journey is to remain open. And for in your case, it sounds like you didn't view your company being acquired as a failure, which because it wasn't. It was converting a lot of what made you who you are, the value you had been creating in the world, and now you're going to convert it and apply it inside Deloitte. So I, I can imagine it's been a, a very interesting journey that maybe you maybe you didn't predict it <laughs> even back five or 10 years ago. No, I had no idea. I mean, I think I made the decision with my wife when um, we were washing Chef's Table. And I think at the beginning of Series 2, Chef's Table, there's this awesome Brazilian chef, Alex Atala, and it begins with him like standing at dawn by this lake talking about change. And if change isn't, what does he say? If change isn't uncomfortable, then it's not worth making. And my wife said, yeah, you've got to do it. And so <laughs> we sort of and this was, this was at that, the time. Yes, this would be a, a big, uncomfortable change. And that probably meant that it was the right sort of change to make. Wow. Well, I love that show. I'm going to have to go watch that episode. Um, <laughs> no, I agree. What's the line again? Say it again so everyone can lock it in. If change doesn't make you uncomfortable, then it's not worth making. Mm. And uh, that definitely, I was going, well, yeah, sounds like a pretty uncomfortable change to me. I'm going to give it a crack. And, um, you know, and it has changed a lot of things. I think the funny thing is, though, that working within a consultancy, it's still very much like running your own business. Like consultancies are basically a huge marketplace of small businesses. They're all partners and everyone's selling to each other. So I thought it would be like getting a job where I would just get briefs and I would do them. But instead, you're still out there hunting for opportunities and resourcing your team and managing workflow and all that sort of stuff still it's um yeah i equated it to that film inside out the pixar movie where um yeah you know the girl has all those emotions in her head and they're all personified so it's like when you're running a small business you've got the i'm not making enough money emotion you've got the i'm not working hard enough emotion and now they're just people like they're like that's just that's just him or him. And uh, they're just saying those things to me. So you, it's, it's, it's actually not that different from running your own business, being inside a consultancy, which is weird. I didn't realize that. Well, in a way, it's part of what makes consultancies so powerful and so beautiful. It's strange, but you're right. It's a great way of putting it, that it's like hundreds or thousands of small businesses all coming together within a f- overall framework called Deloitte or called KPMG. Um, yeah. But this is why I, th- I think it's part of why they thrive and why they're quite entrepreneurial. Definitely. Um, yeah. There's a lot of people out there scheming all the time. It's amazing. It's a, it's a hustle fun. <laughs> well, I'm curious, um, as I think about us wrapping up, um, what, what's next, what's next for you? And, uh, would it be beneficial for anybody that's listening who says, well, gosh, I'd, I'd love to potentially work with Matt or people like Deloitte. Uh, is it, would it be appropriate for them to reach out to you? Definitely reach out to me. I, I, I guess a lot of your listeners are American. So Deloitte Digital in San Francisco acquired a big agency called Heat 
Um, so they have a very much an, an agency presence there and they've opened an office in New York as well. Um, so I would, I'd recommend reaching out for them because they're definitely still um, pushing the, the advertising agency model within consulting. Mm-hmm. Um, my team, we're definitely working more deeply embedded within consulting. But, um, yeah, reach out and, um, and um, I don't know, just try to, yeah, bef- try to learn what consultancy is all about and what, what makes it different. And I know that consultancies don't make it very easy to learn what they're about from the outside because I certainly had a lot of trouble figuring that out before I came in. But um, understanding the difference between them and an ad agency is, is a pretty big shift. Yeah, I wonder. Do you think it's as big of a shift for 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 studios that are working with brands directly, where they're almost acting as the agency, which I think is a bit like you were. Yeah, no, that yeah, that may not be as big a shift, but definitely if you're waiting on briefs, um, yeah, it's a big shift. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna be waiting a long time, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yep, because I guess part of the consultancy thing is you make the brief up with them. Yeah, then that's the that's where you're not. You're not. You, you have to actually invent the questions, not just the answers, right? Yeah, yeah. Which, which <laughs> I which I find fun, but some people might find frustrating. Right, right. Well, Matt, very cool talking with you. I'm 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 so excited. We finally got uh, someone to speak on behalf of uh, this big crazy concept called the consultancies. Yeah, from yeah, having that. I'm, that I wouldn't creative, definitely call uh, myself the co- the coffee anon of consultancy, but yeah. It's been an interesting <laughs> right. ride so far. Well, I'm I'm gonna be excited to to hear how it continues to evolve and and progress. So we'll stay in touch and and keep tabs on what Deloitte is up to. Thank you very much, Joel. Look for I'll, I'll keep listening. Great episodes. Thanks, sir. You've been listening to the Rev Thinking Podcast. For more information on upcoming accelerators, events, or to learn how RevThink advises creative entrepreneurs like you, connect with us at RevThink.com. I want to tell you about a place to connect that you might not know about. It's our online community called Rev Community. It's a great place to get to know other creative business owners like yourself, to share some thought leadership and read other encouragement, to be challenged in this new marketplace, new technology, ideas, economic trends, and it's a place to research. Check out many of the resources we have online, our videos, and of course, this podcast. Join us today at revthink.com community. If you're a creative studio owner, feel free to join us today at revthink.com slash community. I look forward to seeing you there.